Good morning. Thank you, Tim. Uh, it was mentioned this is first fruits this month, and first fruits comes right from the Bible. It, it, it's not confined to the Bible. In other writings of antiquity, ancient writings, as we see them, it's okay, just a punctuation mark. First roots is, is used uh, among other peoples as well, even the, the notion of a tithe, a portion that is set aside to express honor, reverence, uh, the dignity, uh, the dependence, and the glory of God. And so we do give him our first and best. We do this daily and throughout the year. But as I have pastored, I began year, some years ago when, uh, when I first entered the pastorate, dedicating the Sundays that lead up to Thanksgiving, which was established by our President Abraham Lincoln to be the, first, the uh, third Thursday of November, so that we observe Thanksgiving, which is a wonderful, <laughs> done it all my life, how about you, you know? What a, what a great day Thanksgiving is. It's a special day that marks our lives in this country. But the Sundays that lead up to it, we devote to the Lord even as we give thanks to him on Thanksgiving, but we devote to the Lord by calling that time First Fruit Sundays. And uh, we just focus on recovering, if you will, or making sure, maybe taking inventory to see that we're deeply devoted to our God and that we are, because it's out of that devotion that we give him our first and our best. So this year, this November, uh, normally I come up with some kind of an emphasis and theme, and I have a kind of a, a three-week, four-week series, depending on how many Sundays there are. But this, uh, this year, I decided to continue with the sobering sayings of Jesus. And because he has some sobering sayings about the subject of devotion to the Lord, about discipleship, and about stewardship, which are all really all a piece of, of one reality, one existence in our, in our lives and our Christian walk. So today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 18 and our sobering saying, that is a timely truth of Jesus, comes from Luke 18 verse 25. It's easier, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So let's read it in context. And if you have your New Testaments open, I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. Now, maybe I'll back up. 
and just pick up the fact. We'll start at 18. And this translates it a ruler. It could be a magistrate. I tend to think of an official. Um, And a ruler asked him. I mean, just think about that. That someone of such high rank and status makes the effort to go and hear Jesus, to listen to him, along with any and everybody else. And at one point he steps forward, you know, he kind of steps out of the crowd, I suppose, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, I don't know. I've got some hunches as to why Jesus mentioned those particular commandments. You know, there are ten in all. And actually, he's working backwards. But maybe, and most importantly, it's to remind us that we're sinful. Because as you hear those commands, I don't know how you respond, but I think we're all guilty. We've all committed those, we've failed in those things. If not in a criminal, legal sense, but in, 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 in many ways, we've done that in our heart. But he replies, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing, just one thing you lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven And come, follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad. In fact, it would be be best to think he became deeply grieved. For he was extremely rich. Now, this is the first time we're told that he had a great deal of wealth. Jesus, seeing that he had become grieved or sad, said, I mean, it showed on his face. He couldn't hide the fact that he's, this has really disturbed him. This has unsettled him. And Jesus sees it, and he says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? 
But he said, what is impossible with man or what is humanly impossible is possible with God. And Peter said, see or listen, we have left our homes and followed you, or we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's impossible. A camel, the largest animal in Palestine, cannot go through the eye of a needle, the smallest opening. Does this mean that Bill Gates, worth $94.8 billion, and Warren Buffett, worth $84.3 billion, have no chance to enter the kingdom? Of well, many have tried to understand this, you might say, to create a loophole of some kind. For example, uh, there are those who think that the eye of a needle referred to a gate, and here's a, an actually a very ancient uh, depiction of a gate, a small gate in which sometimes a gate within a gate or a small door in the wall of a city. All cities um, ex except uh, Spartan cities were walled, and, uh, and so if a camel had its luggage, its, its all the belongings, the load that it was bearing, if that was removed, as you can kind of see, you could just get through, just barely get through. And so some think that that's what Jesus was referring to when he talked about the eye of a needle. In other words, if you kind of unload your baggage, you might be able to squeeze in there. Uh, others have uh, considered the word camel, uh, because the word rope, you know, and of course, naturally, we, we use thread for a needle, thread the needle. I can remember as a child how difficult it was when, when mom, and, and she would say, here, would you like to try and thread the needle? And wow, very, very difficult, you know. But even thread, small thread, used for sewing is a form of rope, and uh, they are very, very similar. So maybe it's been suggested, um, maybe somebody misheard Jesus, and he didn't say camel, he said rope. And perhaps uh, I've done a sufficient job in showing you that the word rope and camel are very, very phonetically similar. 
uh, in sound. And then, of course, uh, there are those who just uh, are foolish in their suggestions, you know, like uh, liquefy the camel, and then you can make it in. All solutions fail because Jesus makes it clear in verse 27, it's impossible. We're dealing with an impossibility. What is impossible humanly is possible for God. And that really raises the question, what's your impossible? I've been thinking about that this week, my impossibles. We're all called in discipleship to set before the Lord, to offer to the Lord, to submit to the Lord, to surrender to the Lord our impossibles. Here, it's wealth. The rich official recognized his impossible, and it's often the case that we have impossibles that we need to give to God. But we have to remember, even though we are not rich perhaps like this man, we are rich by worldly standards. The poorest among us is richer. But this is not primarily about the math. It's not about how rich is rich. Uh, By the way, I can remember an occasion, it was really impressed upon me, it comes to mind fairly often, um, when Shelley and, and I and the children were on vacation, we would go as far away as we could. That's where we could find rest. And so when we were in San Francisco, we would drive to San Diego and stay in a little, you know, like, what was the name of the place we'd... Motel 6 kind of place with the pool for the kids, you know, sort of thing. So wash the sand off after the beach. But anyway, um, while we were there, we got up early one morning. We were going to walk along the beach. And when we pulled into the parking lot uh, of this particular beach that we had never been to, uh, there was just one car there, which was perfect. That's the way we wanted it. But that one car was a brand-new Lamborghini. It was candy apple red, and it had the most beautiful kind of cream leather upholstery. I've always wanted a Lamborghini. So I was immediately drawn to this particular Lamborghini. We went for a walk, and when we came back, the owner was there. And my kids ran up, and they said, is this your car? He said, yes, it is. He was an older man, much older than me. And uh, he said, yes, it is. And my son said to him, how much does this car cost? And he was very kind. And he looked at my son, and he said, if you have to ask You can't afford it. That's rich. But that's not the issue. 
we're all rich to someone. When I was a youngster and uh, we moved to Modesto, we had lived in Long Beach, and we moved to Modesto, and my parents bought their first house on Chelsea Avenue. That's, what, that's how Dad called it. Mom called it Chelsea. Also, we had almond trees. That's what Dad called them. Mom called them almond trees. And they argued incessantly about these things. Good-naturedly, of course. But they, built, bought, they bought their first home on Chelsea Avenue in Modesto for $9,000. I was five years old. And it was around that time that I was up in a tree. We had these almond trees, almond trees. What do you say? How many say almond? I gotta get this out of the way, so not many. Okay, almond trees. <laughs> Accommodate your listener. So I was up in this almond tree in the backyard. Dad Kate was yet hollering for me to come in because it was time to eat. And I said, I'm back here. And he stood at, under me. And I can see him even at, at this point in my life. But, you know, memories do not age. And he said, he said, son, you've got to come in. It's time to eat. I said, Dad, I'm stuck. I can't get down. He said, jump. I said, I'm afraid. And we were in kind of a stalemate. And Dad's temper started to flare. And finally, I mean, he was, he was so upset with me that I wouldn't trust him. But eventually I jumped. I wanted to go in. I wanted to go in, but I couldn't let go. And I couldn't let go because I couldn't completely trust my dad. In fact, while I was struggling with the fears, you know, fears. Where do fears come from? They're about self-protection. It's about me. It's all about me. And in that process, even at a young age, I wouldn't have called it calculating. I wouldn't have called it rationalization. But that's what it was. I was thinking, can dad deliver? Can, can dad actually catch me? Can I trust him? Do I gamble my welfare? Even though I know he wants what's best for me, he, I know that. But is he strong enough? What, uh, does he, is he capable of really grabbing me and keeping me from hitting the ground? So I was running the numbers. But I'm trying to tell you this morning, this isn't about the numbers. We do that. We calculate when it comes to trusting God. We reckon the costs. We run the numbers whether we're thinking about it or not, whether we're even conscious of it. It's a part of our makeup. And unless you become aware of it, self-conscious, and say, stop that, 
You'll be prey to it. You'll be fearful to it. And you'll never, you'll never go in because you'll never let go. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. To go in, to enter into the kingdom of God, to go in, you've got to let go. And then he adds, because he says what's impossible with us is possible with God, he says, let go and let God. There are three questions here. Three questions. In verse 18, what must I do? In verse 26, who can be saved? And in verse 28, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Let's look at these three questions briefly because I think they'll bring into focus what is the issue. We've already kind of begun to zero in on it. Maybe we can see it even more clearly. What must I do, asks the rich official. He has wealth and position. And the word that is translated ruler actually means ruler, but we know from usage that it can refer to a host of offices at various levels, even as high as prince. But he asks, what must I do? Obviously, this, this uh, man of such rank and stature and wealth, I mean, he's the guy that everybody admires. He's the guy that everybody wants to be. Now, I'm not being that precise, but we've, we've all of us, have we not had someone and maybe several that we've so admired Celebrities, athletes, uh, statesmen, uh, dancers, vocalists, entertainers, movie stars. We think, wow, wouldn't it be great to be that person? To be like that, to have that person's life. If, you, if you've thought that way, be honest. Raise your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm going first. Yeah, a few of you. If you haven't, maybe it's because you gave it a second thought and you thought about the ramifications of celebrity or what it would, the headaches of having all of that celebrity status, the demands, the responsibilities, the loss of anonymity. I mean, sometimes in life, to become content with less, it just takes a little thinking. and imagining what it would really be like. Uh, in 1982, we had our first child, June 1st, and uh, just a couple weeks before that, maybe even only a week, I'd blown out my knee for the first time, so I was in a cast. And I can remember, even though I was in a cast, I was pretty good on crutches, and I used to a lot of, play a lot of racquetball and uh, go to a, you know, a health 
spa, as they call them, and so I kept working out, you know, on the uh, different machines, and a guy came up to me. Uh, his name was Doug Clausen, and uh, he helped me a great deal uh, because he said, uh, who's your therapist? Well, I didn't realize I needed a therapist back then. This was on the cusp of therapy, the cusp of uh, uh, orthroscopy, excuse me, or which was in non-invasive ways of, of otherwise. They'd just have to open your knee up for anything. And uh, he said, well, you just ask your doctor for a prescription. And anyway, Doug became my therapist, and I worked so hard for him that he kept me on after my insurance expired. Uh, Doug became amazingly uh, wealthy. He opened more than one PT center. And even after we moved on, uh, he <laughs> had a huge home out at the golf course, uh, I mean, and when we were over in San Francisco, he stayed in touch with us, and one day he called me up, and he says, hey, I'm going to have, I just got a yacht, a 40-foot yacht, he says, I'd like you and Shelly to join us for a cruise on the bay. Oh, man, that was fun. <laughs> that was so cool. But after, as we were driving home at the end of the day, I thought, I don't want the headaches of a yacht. Not that I've ever been able to afford one. I mean, I'm driving a 14-year-old CRV, but I wouldn't want the headaches. You see, a lot of demands, a lot of ties, a lot of entanglements come with wealth. And yet, with all that wealth, you may still have an important question to satisfy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've got it all, at least as some people think, but, but yet I know I don't. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus, he has a trust God problem. Give up what you trust. Let go. Let go. And come follow me. That's what Jesus says to him. We almost miss it. Maybe it's the whole wealth thing. I've found myself kind of subject to this. If I wasn't a disciplined, trained, schooled reader, you kind of, when you read through this, the thing of that wealth, go and sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, and then we, we can't even hear, come follow me. What a, what a special invitation. Do you realize Jesus handpicked his disciples, but he says to this man, you can join. You'll be the 13th. You'll be the baker's dozen. Come follow me. This is the man, this is the man that he sought out. Who knows what that involved? Maybe he even had an entourage that took him there. And maybe some of them whispered, what's, a, you know, what, what's he doing going to hear this Jesus? But he thought Jesus had the answer. He went to Jesus because 
He thought Jesus could fill the need in his heart that none of that wealth, none of that rank could fill. And when Jesus told him what he came there to hear, he who called Jesus good teacher, he couldn't follow his advice. Even though it was a personal invitation, he saw something in this man. And he said, come follow me. But that was too much. It's so hard to let go. You lack one piece of the puzzle. You know, when you do a thousand-piece puzzle, it's hard to get started. You know, you get a corner. You got all those pieces turned over. You're scouring for the one piece that you think will go. You're, you're kind of dividing up the color schemes because you know there's association that way. But as you start to put that puzzle together, you pick up speed. It's the same way with learning. It's the same way with any endeavor in life. At first, it is so hard because it's so new and there are so many things to, that are kind of unfamiliar. It's not easy, but as you become accustomed to things start to, and you pick up speed, and your acquisition actually advances more quickly. Just like the pieces of a puzzle, and he's got one piece. Usually the thing that slows us down at the end is, where's that one piece? This man's been looking for the one piece in his life, and Jesus says, I know what it is. Total commitment. You lack total commitment. You lack real devotion. You're too busy calculating. You're like... Little John up in the tree with his dad standing underneath him, growing frustrated. And I'm thinking, can dad catch me? It's the exact same thing. This man is thinking, can God catch me? Can God fulfill my deepest need? Can God be better than all that... I have that I would have to trade to have that ultimate satisfaction, ultimate contentment that God offers. And that makes sense because God created us. It's like going home. How, how many of us, if we were, say, kidnapped in a foreign country by those who are terrorists and we're in a dark cell. We have no, we've lost all hope. We don't know if we'll ever get out. We, we fear for our, our very life. We are living, but we're not living. What, what, would your, what would your mind go to? 
your your spouse, the your your girlfriend, boyfriend, but definitely in some ways at some point you'd think you you'd think of home. God's calling us home. Calling you home. What would you trade? If your house was on fire right now, I think of my office. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't make sure Shelley's out first. But I don't have any books at home. But I, over the years, I, my, re- my work has required and involved, it hadn't required every bit, but I've amassed a, quite a library, and I used to fret about that. I don't even know. What, what would you save? What would you go back in for? If you couldn't keep it all, and basically that's what we're all faced with. We can't keep it all. It's hard to let go. What we grip keeps us from grabbing God. Reminds me of a friend, Harvey Montgomery, who was stationed in Panama. He he told me that when he was stationed in Panama, the locals caught spider monkeys. They would take coconuts and they would uh, hollow them, take the milk out, and then they'd drop a little piece of candy in there. And the little spider monkey, he'd reach in there and he'd get that candy. And then he'd... He couldn't get it out. Because to get the candy out, to get his fist out, which was bigger than the circumference of the hole, he had to let go of the candy. And that's how they caught spider monkeys. That's how they became enslaved. They couldn't let go. What's enslaved you? What can't you let go? What can't you turn over to God? It's impossible for you but it's not impossible for him. Only, and that that is the weird little catch-22 to let go and let God. To believe in God more than you believe that that which you have in your fist so tightly held will satisfy you. And that's when the discovery makes, when you let go and let God, you begin to discover the real power of God. There are people who go to church on Sundays who are living powerless lives because they don't let go. They don't really give all unto the Lord. And they don't turn to God in their daily lives. They don't walk by faith. This is all of one fabric. They don't walk by faith. They don't trust him in the little things. Oh, yeah, checklist. Okay, would you be willing to give God everything and follow me? Yes. What's next? Yes, check, check. I Look at my document. I've checked everything. But have you done it? No, 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 no. That's the constant challenge for us. It's not the amount. It's the willingness to trust Him for the little things. Then the caliber, the gauge 
the amount, the number won't matter. It's faithful and little entrusted with much. Who can be saved? What's impossible for us is possible with God, Jesus says. Just believing, don't miss this, just believing that it's possible with God and not with you is the beginning of faith. But don't let the calculating step in. What you need to do is take steps in the place of calculating, steps of faith. Because even though in our minds we say, I know I can't do it. I know God can do it. But do you believe it? Or is it just a fact that never reaches your heart? Only God can change self-centeredness change selfishness, which is ultimately what these things come down to. And it is very hard. That's what was ultimately behind my fear, was that selfish concern that dad couldn't catch me. In this case, it's wealth. But in our cases, it could be other things. Have I done enough, asks Peter, in verse 28. He doesn't say it in just those words. But what, are he, what he declares is equivalent to what Jesus asked the official to do. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. Peter has, as he says here, he, le- he left his nets. He left his fishing bi- business. He only sees his family on odd days, <laughs> maybe every other week or so. In some cases, maybe his family travels with him. But he wants to know, have we qualified? And isn't that a question we want answered? That's the question I would want. I would say, Jesus, just speak to my question, will you? Am I in? Am I safe? Am I in the fold? That's what Peter wants to know. He says, in effect, that's all of us who've left our stuff to be your disciples, Jesus, we just, at this point, there are some things in question, and we'd just like you to be matter of fact about it and say, hey, you guys are cool. But Jesus doesn't answer him directly. Look at what he says in verses 29 and 30. I tell you the truth, this you can take to the bank. And isn't that what ultimately faith comes down to is how true is true for you and how true is true for me? Is it really true for you? Is it really true for me if it doesn't make a difference in my life? If I'm not willing to go out on a limb, if I'm not willing to let go to get in? There is no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times over and in this age. But what is at issue here? The picture here is that following Jesus caused disruption in relationships. 
some relationships, not intentionally, but because of putting Jesus first, it has cost some people relationships. And Jesus says, you'll, those, you'll be, what's the word I want? You'll, you'll have that multiplied as a disciple many times over in this age and the one to come, eternal life. You see, it's not what we give up that's calculated here. Peter is looking for that, that number. Am I an eight? You know, eight, eight and above gets in. Am I an eight? And Jesus says, I'm not calculating here. I'm telling you what you've got to be doing is you've got to be a disciple. You've got to keep being devoted. You've got to keep following. It's following Whatever it costs you to follow me. And here Jesus numbers the relationships that are closest to us. The things that matter most. The things of home. He says, in following me, even at the cost of these dear things. See, it's all about discipleship. And that's the constant challenge. The daily trust. How can I do this by faith rather than reflex? How can I depend upon you? Follow your heart. How can I reflect your love? How can I do this your way and not my way? To go in, you've got to let go. Letting go and letting God takes place every step of the way. What's your impossible that will highlight, just as it did for this man, the challenge of your heart and the level of your devotion. C.S. Lewis said how hard it is to turn to God when everything is going well. We have all we want. And to say we have all we want is a terrible saying when all does not include God. How rich is rich? Some are rich in money, some in anger, some in self-righteousness, some in grief. All are justifications and calculations that have to do with safeguarding me against a God that we think is too dangerous to trust. And that's what makes this sobering saying and this timely truth considered a dangerous saying of Jesus because it's a call to trust someone that we find threatening to our current well-being. Will you stand with me? What is it, the march of a thousand miles? begins with a single step. We stumble, we fail, we sin. That's, there's provision for that. That's what disciples rely on. What, what stops us from being disciples is making that that decision to step out 
in areas that for each of us involve risk. And faith involves risk. You cannot express faith without risk because Jesus is always going to be calling you and pulling you and asking you to follow him into ways that are out just outside the border of your comfort zone. Maybe this morning he's speaking to your heart. This would be a good day to take a step of faith. I'm going to pray for us. But after, I'm going to be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, deacons, their spouses. If you would like to pray with one of us, maybe we as staff, elders, deacons, spouses, maybe we need to pray with one of you too. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the call that we have to just step out and say, there is my answer in you. We love you, Lord. Help us to take steps of faith this week, to let go and let you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say, God bless you.